iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from deep inside the Silicon Valley future machine. Before we get to today's show with Sir Richard Branson, uh, which is great, uh, just a very quick heads up. Next week, if all goes well, we will have two pods for you, a double episode. Got some very cool stuff cooking, so please don't miss out on that. And also, before we go any further, go to Apple Podcast, give us a rating and review, you know, maybe write a few words. Please just press pause right now. I'd appreciate it. My life depends on it. My son's life depends on it. Okay, the stakes aren't that high, but do it anyway, please, for me. Now, on to today's show. Yo, technology, what is it all about? I mean, my instinct is that um, the end of my lifetime and in my, in my kids' lifetime, that there will be pods traveling throughout the world and um, connecting the world much more quickly. Thank you for tuning in. Today on Danny in the Valley, we have none other than Sir Richard Branson, the bearded billionaire behind Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Music, Virgin Galactic, Virgin Hyperloop One, Virgin Orbit, all kinds of stuff. Uh, now, you may be thinking, well, why do you have Richard Branson on a tech podcast? Uh, well, for one, he has backed lots of startups from Ring, the video doorbell company that Amazon just bought for a billion dollars, to TransferWise, uh, the money transfer giant, which is also a unicorn, and a bunch of others in between. Um, but he's also uh, directly involved in things like Hyperloop One, which is one of the companies working on this pretty far out idea of vacuum tubes to transport people and cargo in pods at airline speed or faster, but on the ground. You may remember we interviewed the other Hyperloop company back in season one. Um, he has also, of course, poured tons of money, many hundreds of millions of dollars into Virgin Galactic, his space tourism company, as well as Orbit, the satellite company. So he's up to a lot. Uh, anyhow, he was in San Francisco last week where I caught up with him at the site of a new Virgin Hotel. No, I didn't know that either. I didn't know Virgin Hotels were a thing. But anyhow, it was a building site, but we did take a very quick tour. So that right here is going to be the bar, wow. the Commons Club. So that's the guest reception junction. That's just right over there. Uh -huh. You walk into the hotel. Right. That's the shag room, which is located just right here. The right. shag room. The shag room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were, they were still allowed to be there. <laughs> the funny library, which will be the coffee shop. Obviously, the shag room is unfinished, though, given the name, not sure I'd want to do the interview there anyway. Um, so we sat down in the conference room of his PR company in downtown San Francisco, and Branson looked like he's always seems to have looked 
Got the flowing mane, the beard, the crisp white shirt tucked into his jeans, big wide grin. Um, and so we covered a lot of ground. We talked about his various adventures in startup land, why he keeps investing in his space company 13 years after starting. He plowed in tons of money, and there was also, of course, this catastrophic test flight back in 2014 that killed a pilot. He also talks about when Hyperloop will carry its first passenger, whether he wants to live forever, and why later this year he plans to quite literally risk his life to go into orbit on Virgin Galactic's first commercial flight into space. And just before we get started, I wanted to thank all of you, the listeners and followers who sent in questions. Uh, We didn't get to nearly as many as I would have liked. As you'll see, Branson's mind doesn't exactly work in straight lines, which throughout his career has led to things like Virgin Cola and Virgin Brides. Yes, Virgin Brides. But it also has led to things like Virgin America, which when he sold it a couple years ago to Alaska Airlines, netted him something like $500 million cash. And of course, he lives on his very own island, Necker. Anyhow, I hope you enjoyed the discussion, uh, and we started it with just a very basic question, which was, for someone who is flooded with thousands and thousands of business proposals and ideas, what gets him to say yes? There's the main Virgin companies, which, you know, whether it's Virgin Galactic or Virgin Atlantic, or uh, which often come about out of uh, the fr- frustration that... Um, that I feel it can be done better, and so you know we, we we dive in and find teams of people and and create you know special companies, and then there's investments in other people's companies, uh, with Ring, for instance. Oh yeah, so I saw because we actually had Jamie on the podcast last year, Jamie Simonoff, the founder of Ring, and obviously he's had this amazing exit. He just sold for a billion dollars to Amazon, but he told me the story. He went on Shark Tank and just got rejected. I think somebody might have offered him some sort of derisory amount, but yeah, he did, he just told me the idea of you know what he was doing, and I just felt you know I'd love one of those for my kids' home. So you know, said that you know I'd love to jump in and take a stake in the company. You know, we became friends. In fact, I've got breakfast with him tomorrow morning in Miami. So you know, we became friends, and you know, when he had problems, he would ring me up, and and occasionally I would maybe was able to help a bit. Because he mentioned, yeah, that also that ADT, the big home security company, was suing him, and yeah. he said there was a lot of similarities between what BA tried to do to, to Virgin. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was very similar. I think that big companies do not like um, small companies prodding their often fat and flabby tummies, <laughs> and <laughs> and they decided to try to damage Jamie and. So I said, look, I, I'm lucky. I've got 40 million followers on our on our blog. I said I'd be delighted to blog about it and and try to get some interest going, which hopefully would help make them back off somewhat. Which which I think ultimately they did. You know, we we generally don't invest in things unless we can also participate, help when we can. So bringing more than just money, because obviously yeah. you have I mean, plenty you of know, money we, to invest. we do we do have a team that. You know, maybe do some investments for pure investment sake. But generally, if we take 5, 10, 15, 20% of a company, you know, obviously I'm lucky I can, you know, maybe get through to anybody on the phone or if I write a letter, I, I'll get it answered. And that can, on occasions, help at a critical moment in one of these new companies that are trying to get established. I mean, Memphis Meets, I think, is another good example of that where, 
you know, the fact that I think that Bill Gates and myself have invested has given it great coverage. Um, have you tried their meatball? I have. Because this is the test tube meat, basically. Yeah, so, short, so, short so we've, we're invested in a number of companies in this sector. So we're invested in Memphis Meats, which is effectively growing meat. They believe, and um, I really hope it's true, that companies like them plus them can get to sort of 50% of, of um, meat consumption in, in the next sort of 20, 30 years. And I gave up eating um, beef a number of years ago because of cows just munching into the rainforest effectively, and, and we're not going to have any rainforest left. And I don't think we're going to be able to persuade everybody to become vegetarian no um but i think we can persuade everybody to switch to meat that doesn't kill animals that that tastes just as good and that saves what's left of the rainforest when when enough product is you know is that is actually available for people to eat right these companies are obviously doing very very different things is there a commonality between them all is there something are you investing in the people the idea is there something that you look to first that you kind of gets you excited if, if we're talking about these smaller investments, yeah. we're, we're obviously investing in people. We're investing in, in a good idea. And, you know, we're investing in companies which hopefully will give us a return so we can invest in, in, in other companies. And if possible, we're investing in companies that, you know, will make a real difference. So we have something called Audacious Ideas um, on NECA every year, which... Um, ourselves and um, Chris from TED host. And basically what we do is have a team of people who, who spend the year working on what, what are the sort of six most audacious ideas that can really change the world and make a real difference in the world. Out of a thousand projects, they whittle down to maybe six. And then wow. the individuals then make a 10-minute video. And then we bring together the, some of the wealthiest people in the world on to, to NECA and these six projects or seven projects pitched to those people and at the end of the day we ring back these people and and um, tell them whether or not they've been successful and you know projects have got between sort of 50 and 100 million dollars of philanthropy you know rather than investment as you know on, on these projects so so these are can be businesses but they can also be kind of ngo type organizations that you funnel them down i imagine you just do an open call for ideas around the world they've all been philanthropic so far oh okay um but um well just just to explain the philanthropic aspect and then explain the business aspect so there's a there's a horrible blindness called trichoma in africa that mm-hmm. um still exists in about 10 countries where the eyelids turn in on the eyes and then the kids literally blink themselves blind or, or adults even blink themselves blind. And, oh um, and, it, and it's still happening to hundreds of thousands of people in Africa. So, you know, they made a pitch and with the idea of wipe, wiping out trichoma in every... So who makes that pitch? The people that are most equipped right. to deal with it. So in, actually, on this case, um, Sightsavers are leading the charge on that one. You know, so we committed, I think it was $60 million, but said um, that part of that commitment was to, that they needed to raise another $60 million on the back of the $60 million. And since then, Bill Gates and the British government and other people have, have, have come in with large amounts of money as well. Another organization was, was trying to... Um, use satellite technology to warn companies of where methane leaks were taking place, and they got their money. And so, so how many people are in this kind of audacious ideas kind of pool of funders? So, so, so far, um, it's been a small group of about 10 
people. So you have 10 of these uber wealthy people yeah. come spend a nice week or weekend. Yeah. It's just see the, these videos and then decide whether they're going to and which exactly. One and they work. You know, we, we you know we work together as a team um, on on these things. So we follow up. And we, I mean, I, I've been to you know Switzerland and presented to um, Credit Suisse, his wealthiest clients. You know, we, we, so where we said, okay, you've now got to raise another sixty million. We'll then try to help them right. raise the matching money as well. And then you know, at TED we. We've opened it up to the public to get involved as well. So at this year's TED conference, we've sort of said if the public want to come in and get, and get involved, that can happen. So that was that, that's the philanthropic side. And then at one of these meetings, there was a wonderful man called Bill McGlashan who runs TPG, um, a big venture capital thing. And he suggested that um, that maybe we can all put up, you know, we can be generous and we can give away all our money, but um, but we also need organizations that are investing bigger sums of money in big projects on a, on a, on a for-profit basis that can make a big difference. Mm. So Bono, him, him, myself, and he, and a couple of other people agreed that we'd set up a purpose-driven fund, which um, TPG would manage. And they've gone out and raised $2 billion. And the idea is that if, if this fund can work, we can then hopefully tap into pension funds in the future to show, you know, if you have a purpose-driven fund, it, it doesn't have to be less profitable than a yeah. non-purpose-driven. And so they have very, very strict criteria on, you know, what makes for a purpose-driven company. Right. And they've got a fantastic team of people, you know, I mean, some dealing with health, some dealing with clean energy, and they've already made about 10 big investments. So when did you start Virgin? I was 15, so, and I'm 67 now, so uh, over 50 years ago. Right. Yeah, I was a dyslexic 15-year-old who was hopeless at school, but um, was interested in what was going on in the world. And um, the Vietnamese war was an atrocious war that was taking place, and a number of us felt passionately that it should stop and um, so uh, you know we decided to tr start an inter-school university magazine to try to campaign against it and um, also to speak out on other issues that, I mean the Biafran war was going on mm. and uh, it, you know it was, it was the 60s so it was, a, it was an exciting time to be alive and I was going to run the magazine from the school but the headmaster said um, you know I had to choose between formal education or, um, and if I wanted to do the magazine I had to leave and so I said great I'm off <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and, um, and the magazine became my education basically and became it there was Oz it and student and um, the three the three were, were, you know it was a great a great time to be running a magazine yeah and we had Gerald Scarf and Ralph Steadman and Peter Blake and you know lo um, lots of fantastic people who sort of contributed to it um in those days when I did interviews, my tape recorder was, uh, was that Yeah, it's big, not this like real. cool, little, sleek little uh, <laughs> black box, yeah. No, I, went, I once went into, um, not, I knocked on the door of James Baldwin's hotel room to try to get an interview of him, and um, <laughs> he opened the door, and I, I hadn't got a prearranged anything, and uh, he looked pretty angry, but he, you know, because I was 15, 16 years old, he sort of took pity on me and invited me in, and just after he invited me in, I sort of went back outside the door and I <laughs> carried this massive bloody uh, tape recorder in. And then, of course, the, 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 um, 
the plug was the wrong plug, so I had to un, you know, get, uh, you know ask him for a um, screwdriver. Well, actually, a, a, a coin and undo the thing, and then <laughs> and then get some matches from. And, and by the time I did the interview with him, it was very much a, a, a very angry black man against <laughs> a white man. <laughs> and it was, but uh, yeah, being young, I mean, I managed to managed to bully our way into. Jean-Paul Sartre and Vanessa Redgrave and lots of interesting people. And I don't know if there's anything that's universal from over those years in your experience, because uh, I imagine it also applies to what the companies you look at now. What are, what are the things that um, work? I think the I think um, the most successful businesses that that um, I've gone into have been businesses where I've, I've just been frustrated with the way. You know, big companies are doing it, and and I felt, screw this, I can get in and uh, shake it up and do it a lot better. You know, so the airline business uh, we went into simply because I was actually bumped off a off a flight um, going from Puerto Rico to the Virgin Islands one day because they didn't have enough seats sold. You know, I, I hired a plane and got a blackboard and jokingly wrote Virgin Airlines one way to uh, and um, thirty nine dollars and filled up the plane and. And the next day, rang up Boeing and asked if they had any second-hand 747s for sale. And everybody thought we were mad. I mean, like, um, you know, one plane against BA's 300. And then you had Pan Am with 300 and TWA with 300. You know, what chance would you have? But if you, if you feel passionately that you can do it better and, and you, you, know, you do go in and create an airline that's better and your staff feel passionately that, uh, that Virgin Atlantic was better and... You make it fun, and you uh, you have a chance of succeeding. And even when British Airways launched, the, you know, the, the dirty tricks campaign against us, um, because people stuck with us and enjoyed the airline, we survived. Whether it's banking or whether it was health clubs or well, mu- music. We went into music shops because music was really expensive in those days, and we just thought. You know, let's set up you know shops that um, that, that that can sell music cheaper than any, anybody else. And yeah. you know, we had to get Ted Heath to abolish retail price maintenance, which in those days, believe it or not, uh, everybody had to sell everything for the same price. So we man- we managed to get the law changed. Um, that sounds very communist. Um, <laughs> it was very well. Yeah, it was. But fortunately, anyway, Ted Heath wasn't a communist. So, um, so um, you know, so then then we managed to. Um, get in there and d- discount music you know so it's very rare it's very rare that I think at Virgin that we thought right how can we make a lot of money you know what business can we go into that can make us make us money it's almost always been a passion and 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 the great advantage of it do, doing it based on a passion is I'm committed the people around me are committed we may not make as much money as say you know if we'd gone into conventional tech or something like that but I think if you say take Virgin America, the airline in, here in the States, you know, it was the best airline you know, in the la- every, every year traveling for the last 12 years. It, was a gr- it, it shook up the industry and I think most likely improved the competition yeah. as well. And the only reason we did it was because other airlines were so awful. One of your, obviously, your big investments is Hyperloop. What problem is that solving? Why are you investing in that? Since I was in my... 20s maybe early 30s I've resigned all my directorships all my chairmanships and you know I've delegated everything to other other people and um, so I could spend more time on you know setting up not-for-profit ventures and just looking at the bigger the bigger picture 
um, and just you know starting new companies but not getting bogged down with the running of companies. Uh, there was a genius engineer at um, uh, Virgin Galactic called uh, Josh Geigel, and he left one day, and um, we were all very sad to see him go. And then he emerged again a few months later, and he'd been beavering away, setting up Virgin, well, in, in those days, Hyperloop One. So I decided to go and see what he was doing, went out to the desert outside uh, Las Vegas, saw uh, what, he'd, what he'd accomplished in an incredibly short period of time. And the Hyperloop is effectively a giant horizontal vacuum tube transportation at the speed of sound or faster. Exactly. I looked into what the competition was doing and felt that Josh was way ahead of everybody else. And I was, they, they asked if I would be chairman and... And I decided to sort of come out of <laughs> come out and, and and take on the role because I felt that it deserved it deserved you know it really deserved to be successful and it was not going to be easy. I mean you know Josh is a young guy, and I can open doors. You know so for instance we've signed up a you know fantastic route in India, Mumbai to Pune, um, the busiest road route in India, hundreds of accidents and deaths every year. So um, yeah, I guess that's the question: What problem is it solving? It's so many problems. I mean, let, 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 I just give you. Well, on that, on on that, it'll it'll you know it'll it'll it will literally save thousands of lives. Um, it'll um, instead of people sitting in traffic for five hours, uh, they can jump on a hyperloop. They can work. They can be there in you know, a little over half an hour, and it will transform people's lives. I mean, it's just miserable <laughs> sitting yeah. sitting in traffic in in India. But there's, there's even more exciting things that it can do. I mean, let, let's just give you another example. Dubai has one airport. It's building another airport 70 miles from that airport, which will take maybe a couple of hours to go between airports. If you put a hyperloop between those two airports, you can get across town in you know, ten, 10 minutes instead of a, you know, two, two hours. But then when you actually get to the airport, pods can just go off to the, the New York gate, the JFK gate, the... Timbuktu Dick Two Gate, and um, and the pods can you know be the size of however many passengers are going on that particular that particular journey. So you're not only saving the, the two hours going across town, you're then saving the two hours going through the airport and the misery of the airport experience. You know by the time that airport's built, uh, there will be technology which will mean that the the bags can go straight on on the you know on the plane. Eye recognition will. You know, sorts, well, you don't hear, because you may have, you may have already checked in at one airport. You won't have to because you're in a tube and not in a car. You won't. You can go straight straight to your gate, or eye recognition. You know, if you if you haven't already checked in at one, should be able to allow you to go straight straight to your gate and get on the plane. Um, so, so now that going through that customs bollocks. Yeah, so, uh, yeah it's a, it just together. just avoid avoid all all that rubbish and. Um, Cargo. Let's give you a, a cargo example of benefits of Hyperloop. So most of the docks, uh, a lot of docks, and again, let's just take Dubai, are on valuable mm. real estate land, which you know would be much better suited to hotels and uh, beaches than uh, than cargo containers and lorries coming to and from. You know, if you put a little island just off Dubai, say, and and you. Un, you know, unload the cargo onto a hyperloop. The hyperloop can whisk that cargo twenty miles inland, and the lorries can come and pick it up twenty miles inland. And you can then sell all the real estate. So, I mean, you know, I mean, my instinct is that um, 
the end of my lifetime and in my, in my kids' lifetime that there will be pods travelling throughout the world and um, connecting the world much more quickly and much more environmentally friendly. I mean, that's the final point, I think, is, is that they will be electrically run um, you can have solar on their on the roofs of the of, mm. of, of the of the tubes, so it you know it it'll be clean clean technology as well. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings, so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from ten to eleven, and get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. So uh, before this interview, I asked kind of listeners and followers to send in questions for you. And Hyperloop was the one that got the most oh, questions. Interesting. And so I have a few I wanted to ask you. Um, one is from Eric Owusu. Does Branson see the success of Hyperloop as a threat to the aviation industry? And does he expect the routes to mirror short-haul flights, flight routes? I think, I think um, that in time that short-haul flights will be affected by Hyperloop, yes. Because, you know, if you had Hyperloop, say, between London and Edinburgh or um, you know, London and Glasgow, which are, I think people would almost definitely prefer to jump on a Hyperloop than jump on a plane. Because it would take around the same amount of time, Well, roughly? generally airports are a long way from a city. Yeah. Hyperloop can go straight into the city. Uh, you don't have all the, all the hassle being at the airport. But obviously, long-haul travel you know, will still exist, but short-haul travel, I think, will, will, will be affected. Is it a pipe dream, though? I mean, because it's so much infrastructure you have to build, and it's, it's such a massive undertaking it's to build this m- thing. It's much, much less of a massive undertaking than you'd imagine. I mean, like we've got quotes from Chinese manufacturers, for instance. Mm. Um, the speed that they could lay out uh, the Hyperloops is remarkable. In, uh, in China or in no, no, any, anywhere, anywhere, <laughs> right. in, anywhere in the world. And then, you know, very quickly, India and other places will start competing with, with, with the Chinese on this. So the key, the, 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 you know, we've, we've got this very short test run in Las Vegas. We're, we're now building a 20 kilometer track in India, and that will you know, test uh, Virgin Hyperloop at, at full speed. And, Which and is how fast? It's capable, I mean, it's capable, but with freight anyway, of going somewhere between 600 and 1,000 miles an hour. With people, we've still got to work out just, you know, the, the, the G-forces and, right. and what's comfortable. But let's say, you know, five, 600 miles an hour is the possibility. Once it's certified um, and um, we've bedded down the, you know, the teething problems, which you're obviously inevitably going to get with the new technology, 
then I think one can roll it out city to cities very quickly. Sam Van Rood says, when and where will the first passenger commute by Hyperloop? I think India is likely to be the first place. So I think um, uh, Mumbai to Punai seems to be the likely first route. And when do you think that will happen? Uh, I've, I've made, the, <laughs> made the mistake of guessing timings with my space company, and I maybe shouldn't shouldn't start now. But um, but anyway, w- let, let's say within within three years. No, okay, I'm not allowed. To. <laughs> Get the no from the minder. <laughs> anyway, I, 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 I like to. I, I hopefully within three or four years. Anyway, right. Oh, before we get to space, do you still own Twitter stock? A little bit, um, but um, not not much. We did, we, um, again, I think um, you know, Twitter, Jack, Jack Dorsey came to Neckham many years ago. And I mean, quite a lot of things like Square, Twitter, and other things. Oh, because you're also, yeah, because you're an investor in Square yeah. as well, right? Which they, is also um, one of we, we, we came about from you know, just dis- also at the d- bar? D- discussions at the bar and <laughs> so, um, I le- you know I'm, I, yeah, I learn I learn I learn and we get you should do a podcast just like yeah um, no, it's true I get we get most of the most interesting most interesting people in the world or most you know, I mean if, it seems like quite a uh, fertile territory America. for business ideas at the, yeah uh, and know. we do a lot of um, brainstorming sessions on you know, organizations that we should be set up on, you know, maybe on a not-for-profit basis to, to tackle particular problems on NECA. And so, we, you know, we, we collect, we get some of the really fascinating people come there. Yeah. And I'm always, always wanting to learn, always, uh, you know, keep my ears open, always fascinated by listening, listening to, you know, people and what they're up to and what their, yeah. what their ideas are. And, you know, sometimes we'll jump in and um, help, help them in the early days. Space. The, the final frontier, so to speak. Um, so I actually went. I went there uh, to your operation in Mojave. I guess it was two years ago now, roughly, uh, which is very impressive. But obviously, it's what you're trying to do is not easy. Where where are things now? Uh, you know, it's kind of the same question um, with Hyperloop. Um, when does space tourism start? And in addition to that, why? Okay, let's do let's do, let's deal with the why the why first. Um, you know, this is by far and away the toughest challenge we've set ourselves, um, the longest challenge we set ourselves. I mean, Virgin Atlantic we got going in four months, and we're now thirteen years into uh, our, our space program. And uh, what, like a billion dollars? I would guess. Yeah, or? No, over a billion dollars. So you know, the the old saying, it's it's not rocket science. Well, obviously, with space, it is rocket science. Right. We've got six hundred of the brightest uh, scientists and engineers working on Virgin Galactic. We've got another couple of hundred working on um, Virgin Orbit, uh, on um, OneWeb. Virgin uh, Gal- Virgin Galactic is the tourism arm. Virgin Orbit is the launching satellites into space. Exactly. Uh, right. And then you've got OneWeb, which was also conceived, well, also a lot of, much of it was conceived at, on the bar at NECA with a guy called Greg Weiler. Um, oh, I've spoken to him. He's, he's quite an impressive guy. Yeah, uh, he, he, he's passionate, and mm-hmm. uh, you have to be passionate. That's a big project as well. Yeah, so we were, we were, we were the main investors in that with Qualcomm from, from day one. So first, well, let's, let's start with OneWeb. I mean, one, OneWeb and Virgin Orbit, uh, th- their remit is to try to help connect the 4 billion people are not connected. If you're not connected, it's going to be diff- more and more difficult to start businesses, to 
uh, get to get health health advice out in rural places, um, ed education. I mean, all, we all we all know how how important connection is these days, and um, uh, and so uh, um, you know, and and the demand I think for small satellites is growing exponentially, and um, so. Uh, you know, we we are the really only company that's going to launch small satellites into space at 24 hours notice um, uh, from a 747 that used to be part of Virgin Atlantic's fleet. Um, and because it's basically being retrofitted, where you have the rocket under the wing and it attached it takes, to the wing, yeah. yeah, and then it takes off at from whatever 35,000 feet, basically drop 40,000 feet, yeah, right. And generally, people have to wait six months a year to get on a big rocket. Um, so we can literally, uh, we, we, and, and you can only go to one area of, of, of um, uh, the world. So with, with the 747, we can fly anywhere in the world with that 747. We can put that satellite up anywhere in the world um, and, um, we, we, and, um, and we can come back, we can pick up another satellite within 24 hours and Put, you know, put, put 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 another rocket up with more satellites up. So we, we you know we think there's going to be a big a big market for Virgin Orbit, and that uh, that's planned uh, for September of this year to do our first um, uh, satellite into space, and um, and that's you know been many many years. Um, multi, you know, um, I mean, just a long process to get there, but yeah. but, but hopefully September. Um, and it'll be tremendously exciting to see the 747 take off and uh, to see the rocket drop and, and hopefully go into space. Um, and um, all, the, all the ground testing has gone really well. You know, the history of first rockets being successful... Um, it's quite it, 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 patchy. It's quite say. patchy. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But anyway, we, 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 if, it, if, it, if we don't see it on the, on the first rocket, we'll obviously build, you know, build another one straight away and... Um, but um, hopefully we'll, we'll be successful on the first rocket. And we have a big order book of, people, of, um, of satellites to, to send into space. And then on Virgin Galactic, we uh, had a, an extremely good um, test flight six weeks ago. We have another one in, in two weeks' time, um, which is just a, a, little, a little bit higher than the previous one. Then... The one after that, we hope to go to the edge of space, maybe in another couple of months' time. And then the one after that, um, all going well, we'll, we'll, we'll go into space um, in, in maybe another two months after that. And, you know, obviously, there's always a possibility that something will show yeah. up that, that, that will mean that, you know, we'll have to do some more work on the craft or something and, and, and we'll have to delay it. But So all going well, though, that could happen later this year. Yeah, like, right. exactly. And... and um, and all going well, if all that goes well, then I hope by the end of the year to, to go into space. And, um, and would you be on that first? I'll be on the first official flight into space. So, so we'll have had you know, two astronauts take the spaceship into space you know, as a test flight, you know, hopefully in, in the sort of late, late, late summer-ish. And, and they will be the first sort of private spaceship people to ever be in space. And then I'll be the first sort of... Owner, I suppose, yeah, if, yeah. if it all goes well, or the first, per, you know, first official person you know, into space, uh, all going well. So, the, what's the why on space tourism? Because you know, I'm sure you've heard no end of critics who say this is just indulgence of rich people who want to pay 250 grand to go in a spaceship. Yeah, I mean, you, when 
flight began across the Atlantic, people criticized rich people for flying across the Atlantic. So you got you, you and, and the price was roughly the same as what we're charging. So by spending 13 years developing a craft that's capable of doing this, it's going to be the beginning of, of you know, supersonic travel. It's going to be one day, you know, the, we, the, the moon could could be inhabited, and it could be the, you know the begin the start of people being able to go to the moon on a regular regular basis. It could be, you know, one day the start of people going and uh, staying in a hotel off the moon. But space <laughs> space is transformative for everything everything on Earth. Do we want to check how much methane is being is being released um, in the world? Methane is eighteen times more damaging than carbon release. Yes, we do. You know, by opening up space, we're going to be able to check check on things like this. Do we want to try to avoid the damage that that the Hurricane Irma did to the Caribbean through space? <laughs> that, that that's a possibility that we can do that. You know, do we want to learn more about medical breakthroughs speeds through space? We like to be able to do that. But equally, people who've been into space, I mean, there's a wonderful book called The Overview Effect, which is interviews of all the people who've been into space. I mean, they have come back as very committed to, you know, having seen, seen the world from space, you know, make it, making the world a better place. The initial pioneers who are going to pay a lot of money uh, will help enable Virgin Galactic to bring the price down for, you know, future people to go into space at a, at a, at a much better price. And if we can make it a business out of it, which I think we can, that will enable us to do more and more and more exciting things in, in, this, in, the, in the space field. So shooting rich people into space is kind of step one of a much broader plan. Of course. Right. Yeah. You know, we've got quite a lot of money that we'd like to try to get back. Initially, you do need wealthy people to help pay that back. But we're still talking about, you know, if a wealthy person wants to go up in a Russian spaceship, it's $40 million. If they want to go up on a Virgin Galactic spaceship, it's $250,000, $300,000. Right. You know, the price is already, you know, it's already dropping. Um, the and it's, it's six seats in the... Yeah, right. and the environmental yeah. uh, cost is almost negligible, and I think we're almost going to get it to zero. So, I mean, we, we, we can, we're, we're now showing, you know, the very fact that we're launching people, you know, from the air rather than from the ground reduce these. You need, don't need all that thrust. You don't need all that have. thrust. Right. And um, we think we're going to be able to quite soon be able to put people to space in, in an enormous benign manner, which will be very exciting. And we also, you know, we can talk about, you know, what we're doing with Virgin Atlantic and others on that. But I mean, but that's another, maybe for another another podcast. <laughs> but, um, and I'll just say, you know, if people want to become astronauts, why that something shouldn't they? <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. you know, like, it, it, it's, people only live once. And, you know, they'd love the, the chance to, you know, go to space, which which NASA and and the Russian governments would would never be interested in letting people do, and they can afford it. Um, why why shouldn't they have the pleasure of being able to do it? And is that those first six seats, that first flight, the first commercial flight, is that already set? Do you know who's going on that? Aside from yourself, do you know who the other five are? We have an announcement to make, which which we haven't um, completely bedded down quite yet, but. Um, anyway, it will it will involve. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, it will, in some form or another, involve um, members of the public, which um, uh, which uh, it'll be myself and 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 um, and others. That sounds very mysterious. <laughs> I just have a few more questions, reader questions, a couple of random ones here. Uh, Nico Hernopoulos asks, 
Wow, what wonderful names you've got. I know, I know. To your podcast. <laughs> it's a broad church. Please ask uh, him if he feels contemporary musicians are as bold and as inventive today as they were when Virgin started. Also, any thoughts on the vinyl renaissance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, I, I, I think they are just as inventive as they were. I mean, it's much tougher for them, though, because... Um, Music industry is very different. It's been gone. I mean, like, um, you know, when, when the Rolling Stones were, were, were playing, there weren't tons of people who played before them, so they could be unique much more easily now than, you know, than 30, 40, 50 years on, uh, when, you know, pretty well every riff has been done. Yeah. And so that you have to be even more inventive today than you had you had to be then. I mean, I uh, I loved seeing the Renaissance of vinyl. I went into I went into a Virgin megastore in in Dubai and Saudi Arabia last week and and almost wept. It was just so lovely just to see a Virgin megastore still still open somewhere in the world. And I sometimes wish that you know Times Square, Oxford Street, or, or you know um, the Champs Elysees, all those wonderful Virgin megastores were still there selling vinyl. Maybe we should reopen one in in, 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 the, in the West on on the back of the, the the vinyl comeback. And this one is from Andrew M. It's kind of interesting. He says, "Has the Me Too movement changed your thoughts on how you do business, or more specifically, how you market? Given that historically, Virgin has used attractive women as a selling point in your strategy and image." Um, it's a good question. Um, I don't think we've. Um, we, I don't think we've changed our approach. Um, I would turn up to launch a business, and you know, there, there would be, you know, there, there would be, um, uh, yeah, okay. So, you know, Kate Moss, um, you know, Kate Moss, uh, you know, I would pick her up on the on, on the wings of uh, the wings of one of our planes, and obviously, you know, that meant that Virgin Atlantic uh, got known all over the world, and the press lapped up the pictures and. Um, uh, you know, she enjoyed it. Um, I think everybody had a good time. So I'm not. I, I think. I think it's important to get the balance right and not to go, you know, from one extreme to the other. As long as, um, as long as, no harm is being done. I think that. I think. I think it's okay. So I don't think it's got in the way. So, being out here, we were just uh, discussing earlier before we started recording all the kind of weird, wonderful ideas you come across here. One of the kind of obsessions here amongst a lot of people is eternal life, defeating aging, or kind of, do you have any interest in that field, either as an investor or personally? Because I mean, I've, I've, you meet a lot of people here who are taking <laughs> all kinds of interesting things, kind of off book, et cetera, or investing extraordinary amounts of money in companies that are promising to extend life or extend the quality of life. So effectively, you can live till 100 and feel fighting fit, and then you just die, or 120, or whatever it may be. Well, I have interesting debates with people who are uh, committed to trying to live forever. Um, my my own feeling. Because I must, I, you must meet a lot of them at Necker, I imagine, no, at the bar. I do. <laughs> uh, and I was thinking of one in particular that I that, that I had this debate with recently, but you know, is putting a lot of money into this and. Um, and, and and actually, I just I think it's slightly selfish. I think um, that I think we've got to make room for our children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. And the world, I just don't think, can cope with us living forever. You know, even although I suspect one day it may may well be possible for us to live forever. Well, especially if we colonize the moon, for example. Yeah, move us on out. but uh, I mean, 
my instinct anyway is to live as healthy a life as I possibly can. I mean, I, I get up in the morning, I you know, play a hard game of singles tennis every morning, every evening, go kite surfing, you know, keep, keep fit and healthy. You go kite surfing? Yeah, I love kiting. We live not far from the water here, and okay. I see the kite surfers, and it's, that's serious business. You if should, the, we- you should, you if should, the wind is up, it's yeah. no joke. But it looks it looks far more uh, risque than it actually is. So they, they, you know, so um, right. So I, I would recommend I'd recommend that anybody listening to this program gives it a go. You know, six hours you should be up and away, and uh, it's easier to learn than skiing, and you get more pleasure than, than skiing, and it costs next to nothing. Just get you know, get right. yourself a kite. So. And a board, <laughs> uh, and, and maybe maybe have somebody keep an eye on you in case your case your kite goes down out to sea. But, um, but <laughs> small um, detail, <laughs> little detail. Um, but um, you know, so I just great believer live live your life to its absolute fullest while you're here, and um, your life lives on for your children and your grandchildren, and 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 the closeness of your friends and your family, and you know what the difference you make while you're here. And um, I think a life pill. If I was offered it, would I take it? Um, maybe I would be selfish and take it. I don't know. Um, if I could get my, if you could get your body back to be to be a twenty-five-year-old's yeah. body, and, and the problem is, people are going to want to have more children, and I, I think I think that this world can't take us all living forever somehow. Last question: You've been in business for fifty-plus years. How's your motivation changed? What's the goal now? I still love learning. You know, I never went to university. I, every day I feel it's, a, it's like a university education I never had. And, uh, and I still love putting that le- learning to, to, to good use. So, you know, we're just talking about, um, you know, the damage we're doing to this world. I mean, obviously climate change is a tremendous worry, but it's also tremendously exciting to see if entrepreneurs can come up with break, breakthrough technologies to make sure that we don't destroy the world. And, you know, I'm involved in, in the Breakthrough Energy uh, Coalition that Bill... I met them. Yeah, okay. So Yeah, yeah. The, the fund here. There's with, a fund with, here. With Bill Gates and yeah. others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, Cooper is runs yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, on our little island, you know, we, we now power the island with solar, with wind, with batteries, and, you know, trying to use our little microcosm of an island to try to help make sure the whole of the Caribbean can, you know, after the hurricane can become carbon neutral in, 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 and, and, and are working with people like the Breakthrough Energy Coalition and others to get to get there. So most of my time is now spent on, on not-for-profit ventures like, you know, we have, we have something called the, the Carbon War Room, which we merged with the Rocky Mountain Institute, where we're going in and advising and helping um, companies to, um, become, become carbon neutral. We're going into different, you know, different African countries, one one at a time, um, showing them how they can become carbon neutral. So Rwanda, so we just finished doing 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 a big report in Rwanda and showing showing them how they can save a ton of money um, on on energy, but also go carbon neutral. Now moving on to Kenya and so on. Right. And instead of becoming a serial entrepreneur, we've become a, a sort of a serial philanthropist entrepreneur. So you know where we're setting up organisations just to tackle. The, you know, the, the, some of the bigger problems in the world that, 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 that we personally are very interested in. Drug reform. I mean, I'm, I'm part of something called the Global Drug Commission, um, which was set up 10 years ago. It has um, 15 ex-presidents. I'm, I think I'm the only business leader on it. And we've done you know, a lot of studies on the war on drugs with one voice. We, you know, we, we believe the war on drugs has been an abject failure. 
And um, for the last 10 years, we've been behind the scenes pushing governments to change their drug policies and try to treat drugs as a health problem, not a criminal problem. In fact, the only country in the world that has dealt with it properly is Portugal. And, and where at the turn of the century, they you know, made an announcement and they said, anybody who's got a heroin problem, um, you know, nobody's going to go to prison again. Um, you know, come, come forward, we will arrange for you to get your heroin, we'll arrange for you to get your injection, we'll make sure you don't overdose. We'll have you supervised right. for your injection, um, and then when you're when you're ready to wean yourself off, we will help you do so. And and they had the kind of nightmare problem that America or Britain or other countries have got today, uh, but they got rid of it, and it's become a non-event. Wow. Again, we're doing reports. We're trying to get governments to follow that line. Uh, and anyway, so we, we we've got a number of different organisations like this where we feel that we can work you know, with the social sector, with government, in trying to you know, improve things and use our entrepreneurial skills to try to change things. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And that is all the time we have. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. As I said, we will be back next week with one, possibly two podcasts for you. And in the meantime, you can find me as ever in the newspaper in the Sunday Times, online at thetimes.co.uk, on Twitter at Danny Fortson, on the electronic mail at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk, and generally just around the old interwebs. So um, thanks again. We will talk to you next week. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.